I love a house that understands that you stop and do what God say do when God says do it and don't ask about the program and all of those things. And it's second service, so y'all are the the ones that like to hang, so we can do a thing. God's been messing with me all morning. And he told me, my thing is like doing a thing to me. All right, there we go. This morning, God pointed out to me that I'm just a few blocks away from where I used to live in Dallas, lived downtown across from the farmer's market. And it was in that place, just a few blocks, that I went through the most intense crushing of my life. The sofa in that place was soaked with tears. Me trying to write this book while it seemed like my life was burning down. There were a couple times I wasn't sure I was gonna make it. And so for God to bring me back here and realize I'm just a few blocks from where the devil tried to take me out, I want you to know that the warfare coming against your life and the victory that's gonna show up in your life, they aren't necessarily that far apart. You're just a little few blocks. You're just a few blocks from where you're going. Don't be discouraged. You're just a few blocks from where you're going. And so when he showed me that this morning, I came up here, I had to choke back tears. And then just now, before I was going to come up, I realized that, Pastor Taylor, this is the last sermon I will preach in 2023. In a year that has been incredibly painful, incredibly victory-filled, When I say I'm ready to do something upside the devil's head, like I'm just like, oh, I'm getting ready to preach, preach. I hope y'all ate before you came because this is my last word. See, sometimes you feel like the devil's gonna get the last word, but baby, this is my last word. He tried to crush me to death, but God brought oil out. He tried to make me believe I couldn't make it, but God birthed something that's changing a generation. He tried to tell me nobody would get the message, New York Times best-selling Oprah Winfrey all over the country because the devil is a liar. Baby, I got the last word. You better holler like it's your last word. You better get my anointing for having the last word. Oh yeah, God got the last word, but he lets us enjoy our victory. So I got the last word. This is my last word. It is the last word. He has me to deliver this year. And let me tell you something. Don't you compromise anything he gave you for any reason. Don't bend. If you have seen this book, you know it is scripture, 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 and then another scripture, and then scripture, 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 and another scripture. There is no reason why the world would be reading this book. Sometimes we think we have to dress it up dress it down the reason why this word is spreading is not because I dressed it down but because I poured it out from my heart 
I'm not hyping me up. I want you to learn a lesson. When you spread the gospel based on the love experience you've had with God, that is all that is required of you. You don't have to roam the streets telling people what they shouldn't do, who they can't be. That is not, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw. And when he draws, he does it well. Share your testimony. That book is just, it's a testimony. It's what he did for me. Share what he did for you and let your heart show. That moves people. We're going to talk about testimony today. Sharing the word of God alive in you. Because God loves his word. Can we pray? Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, there's thank yous going up all over this room. Somebody's thanking you right now for a door you closed. They cried about it, but now they see. Somebody's thanking you right now, not just for healing their body, but for walking them through the pain of the sickness because they are anointed to deliver other people. Somebody's thanking you right now for the job that finally came through. We're thanking you right now for saving us, filling us, delivering us. Receive our thank you. And now let your word come through and let me give them what you would have them to have one more time this year erase me and emerge through me and let them only remember you when I'm gone in Jesus name amen and amen do you love Jesus gosh I love him I mean I like butterflies in my stomach love Jesus like I love him he was tempted for us crucified for us I'm gonna read a few verses and I'll let you sit down Y'all got to forgive me. I'm a mess. Okay. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Sit down. <laughs> Let's start right there. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, led by the spirit. In Matthew chapter four, it says that being full of the Holy Ghost, he was led into the desert to be tempted. So I think it's important for us to recognize that the spirit filled him and then he was led. He didn't go up there weak. He didn't go up there broken. He didn't go up there recovering from something he had done wrong. He didn't drag. He was full of the Holy Ghost and then he was led to be tempted. Why is that important? Because all we can do is make sure that what's on the inside has enough strength and force to withstand what comes from the outside. He was full of the Holy Ghost, but guess what he was wrapped in? A body just like ours. Jesus could not have been tempted unless the temptations were actually tempting. You ever think about that? This is not a play that he's putting on for our benefit. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness in a very real way. And so before we walk through those temptations, I want to get your mind set to that. I don't like avocados. I know that's going to distress many of you, but I don't like avocados. And so if I was in the midst of a fast from food for my spiritual health, and you came to me and I was really hungry that day, you tempted me with a Cinnabon, that would be real. 
And so in order for Jesus to have had this experience as a human being, the things he was tempted with had to actually affect him or they wouldn't be a temptation. Does that make sense? And so we know that the Bible goes on to say that the first temptation that he went through was a physically painful temptation. It says in verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting what we call Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. So Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry afterwards. This is really important. And Luke, it says it much more clearly. It says, and afterward, he was hungry. So God sustained him from those 40 days. He wasn't in horrible physical pain of starvation awareness in those 40 days because the Bible says afterwards he was hungry. So that's our first miracle. But then suddenly he's 40 days worth of hungry. How many people get a headache by three? Okay, so you got a headache by three o'clock. You can't think. You can't open your files correctly. You're messed up when you haven't eaten. So 40 days of hungry just came rushing into Jesus's body. Can you imagine how your body would feel? The pain, the intestinal pain, the headache, the blood sugar's low, everything. We can't make a good decision at the grocery store if we haven't eaten by three o'clock. We will go to the store and get the fried chicken from the hot bar instead of the fish that we can grill at home. We'll get the need met, but not in a healthy way because the need has become so large that it is undermining our decision-making. And so Jesus is forced to make a decision at the weakest possible physical point available to a human being. He is in physical pain. And it's not a sin to eat. So why didn't Jesus just do it? I was an enemy when it got to me. By the time he was like, hey, you should, I'd have been like, what? <laughs> Mouthful, I done changed some, I done made a whole meal. Like he wouldn't even had to get to me. But he comes to Jesus and he says, turn these stones into bread. And so why is this a problem? Because we don't do things at the suggestion of the enemy. It's not just about whether what I want to do is okay. It's whether the source, the inspiration, the direction, is it coming from a trustworthy source in the first place? Because if you start with the enemy, you're going to finish somewhere where he's at. He understood that the source is an issue. And so we don't take suggestions from the devil. Also, Jesus understood that having power does it mean unbridled use of power? In 2023, we call it boundaries. <laughs> he had boundaries. He had power, but he didn't use it at the suggestion of the enemy to prove a point that didn't need to be proven, which is if you be the son of God. And so when we are faced with identity choices, needs that are legitimate, how to get those needs met, and we are in physical pain, we have to pay attention to how that affects the way we think and the way we decide. See, in Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So there's two things that are important in that verse. One, a feeling is not the same as a temptation. A feeling precedes the temptation. 
And Jesus experienced all of them. So that means that if Jesus felt everything we felt and was then tempted, he went from a feeling to a mindset. It goes heart and then mind, feeling, temptation. If he felt everything we felt and had the temptation and he never sinned, no emotion is a sin. It got real quiet. If Jesus felt everything we feel and he never sinned, no emotion is a sin. We spend a lot of times as Christians trying not to feel. We spend a lot of faith energy trying to correct how we feel. We believe that feeling is failing, but Jesus felt every feeling we feel and we have no record of his repentance and we have no record of his intentional attempt to alter his feelings. We have only record of him expressing them. That's it. Okay, so now let's go back to the temptation. Jesus is experiencing physical pain. Physical pain is one of the things that will undermine our decision-making if we allow it to inform a mindset that follows through with a decision that's not of God. Does that make sense? And he quotes Deuteronomy because he quotes a phrase of a verse where while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God allowed them to be hungry because God says that when they're hungry, their heart shows. When you're in physical pain, I'll find out some stuff. You can be speaking in tongues all day, but let me catch you stubbing your toe in the middle of the night real hard up against it. Oh, what comes out of the mouth? Is it Jesus? (laughs) Or some words I'm not going to say up here on this holy altar. When we're really in pain physically, it brings us down to our core self. Who are you when you are in physical pain? Can you hear? Can you think? Can you decide what you need to do next? Physical pain is one of the great challenges of being a fallen human. So Jesus passes this test. And then he takes him and he goes up to the pinnacle of the temple. That is in verse Five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now the enemy is tempting Jesus with emotional pain. So you have to recognize if we have our, if he felt everything we feel and he was tempted in every way we're tempted, you are likely never going to be asked to turn stones into bread. So you can't be tempted that way. But there has to be something that happened to Jesus that happens to you. Physical pain. That was the temptation, not the bread. Emotional pain now is the next temptation. Go up on the pinnacle of the temple. And if you are the son of God, again, prove your identity. Then jump off here and see if the angels catch you. The devil is quoting Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a a psalm that's very much about protection. It's about if I just hide myself under his wings, he will take care of me, nothing bad will happen to me. How many people have ever quoted Psalm 91? No evil will come down my dwelling place. Come on, y'all know y'all quoted it. And then some evil came to your dwelling place. In COVID, we all learned Psalm 91. We had that bad boy down pat, right? No pestilence in the dark. I mean, we had it. But man, some pestilence did get through some places. Some of you lost loved ones. Some things have shaken you. And it can leave you in an emotionally painful state, wondering what is this relationship between me and God? Because I prayed something, I asked for something, and it didn't come through. I asked God to spare the life of someone I loved. I asked God not to let the divorce happen. I asked God to heal my child. And these things didn't seem to come through. 
And so many of you are on this pinnacle of this temple now too, wanting to prove your relationship with God and see if God will in fact do what he says that he would do, which is catch you if you fall. And if it seems like there have been times in your life when you fell and he didn't catch you, it's an extra hard temptation, emotional pain. And Jesus responds and says, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, again, he quotes scripture. Don't test God. I want to warn you today. God, I just heard that. Even in the emotional pain that you have sustained, your feelings are valid. Resist the temptation to test God. Even in the pain. The pain is not an indicator that God is not with you. The pain is not an indicator that you are failing. Jesus expressed every form of emotional pain. He cried outside the tomb of Lazarus. Now, some say he was crying because his friend was dead, and some say he was crying because he was foreshadowing and foreseeing his own death, and he was crying about that. We don't know exactly why he was crying, but we do know they were not tears of joy. And then we know that Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and we know that Jesus knew that he would be raised from the dead. So even though Jesus knew the outcome of the situation was sure victory, he still expressed the pain of the process. And we feel like if we express the pain of the process, we are not exhibiting faith. Well, if I believe God was going to bring me through, I wouldn't be crying right now. I'm sorry, God, I'm crying, but I know I'm going to stop because I know. No, no, baby. Jesus expressed the pain of the process even when he knew the outcome was victory. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Again, Jesus is at a temple in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem. And he sees folks in there acting up. They are selling stuff and changing money instead of changing lives. And he gets mad. And Jesus flips tables and starts whipping people. I mean, beating them. Throwing them out of his father's house. He's furious. No repentance. Jesus expresses his fury and does not repent for it. It is okay to be angry. Anger is an emotion we feel when something valuable is treating, being treated less than valuably. And his temple was not being treated with the proper value, so he went off. That's why you get mad when someone disrespects you in a relationship, when someone you love is unfaithful, when someone attacks your child at school. You get mad because that's, those are valuable issues, valuable people. And we get mad when people don't treat value as it should be treated. And so we get mad. Jesus was furious. He never repented for being angry. You don't have to either. He set the boundary that needed to be set in response to what was happening. Now, you can't flip tears and tables in here. This is not your house. That was his father's house. This is not your house. But at your house, you can go off. The point is that you are allowed to be angry. It is a human emotion. And we see Jesus do it. And then we see Jesus in Gethsemane crying his eyes out terrified of the crucifixion. Jesus is experiencing the emotion of fear. Has anybody ever noticed that? Jesus was experiencing fear in Gethsemane. Why else didn't he want to do it? Did he have a date that weekend? Had he just matched with someone on Hinge and he didn't want to miss that opportunity? I mean, seriously, why was Jesus saying, please, I don't want to do this? 
Paul writes that Jesus sought his father for deliverance from death with strong crying and tears. That means strong word. That word strong there means loud. He was hollering and crying. God, let this come pass from me. Why would he do that except that his body was experiencing the emotion of fear at what he would have to walk through? And we never see him repent. You are allowed to be sad. You are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to feel the emotion of fear. It does not lower your faith level. If Jesus wasn't sorry for it, you don't have to be sorry for it. No emotion is a sin. Never again ask God to forgive you for feeling. Allow it. Now you're thinking, well, I can't just allow it because if I just do whatever I feel like doing, I'll, I'll act. No, slow down. I'm coming back to the wilderness. Feelings are indicators. Painful feelings are indicators of needs. So when I'm sad, I need connection. When I'm angry, I need value. When I'm afraid, I need safety. It is not a problem to need, but when we don't get the need met and we allow it to keep on going and getting bigger and getting bigger, then yeah, you might make a decision that you wouldn't have made if you had taken care of your needs sooner. So if I eat as soon as I'm hungry and I'm trying to make healthy choices, it will be easy. But if I wait 12 hours, then I might eat something I shouldn't eat on my healthy regimen, but that's not because it's wrong to be hungry. I waited too long to get my need met. So when you are sad and you need connection, you need company, you need love, you need acceptance, and you ignore that need and just keep working and pushing and working and pushing, and then you make the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning that you shouldn't make for a connection you don't need because you let yourself get so hungry, it's not the emotion that was the problem. It's that you weren't getting the need met. Oh, I love these faces. Just like, Ruff. <laughs> Emotional pain is a hunger pang for things that you need. Connection, value, safety. And so Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by human needs. He needed food. But on that pinnacle of the temple, he needed connection trust, safety, that God will take care. And instead of testing God to get his need met based on the devil's explanation, he was willing to stand in need rather than get his need met in a way that would dishonor God. But the need itself is not wrong. And once you realize I'm allowed to need, you will take care of yourself better because you know that God made you that way. Does that make sense? All right. God's going a whole different direction this service. That's what he's saying. I love it. All right, let's go to the mountaintop. And again, we're in verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This one. This is us getting the needs met the wrong way. So physical pain, down at the hunger level. Emotional pain, the relational challenge, temptation. And now Jesus is being tempted with emotional pleasure that power brings. Because it feels good to be able to do things, doesn't it? And he's also being tempted with physical pleasure. The riches of the world, the kingdoms. Now he can get whatever he wants. 
Too often we try and meet our emotional pain and physical pain needs by simply accessing something that feels good, emotional pleasure and physical pleasure. So I'm hungry and I eat something that's super yummy, it's a physical pleasure but it might not be healthy. Or I'm in emotional pain so I try to get emotional pleasure by exuding power over somebody or being in a relationship that isn't good for me but in the moment it feels good. So these are our four things that I want you to write these down. Physical pain, emotional pain, emotional pleasure, physical pleasure. These are the only four experiences you will have in your entire life. Anything that's ever happened to you, you can put in one of these categories. It was physically painful or emotionally painful or emotionally pleasurable or physically pleasurable. That's it. Even our worship, that's so much, that's, so, that's peace, that's joy, that's love. Those are emotionally pleasurable things. All of our human experiences are collected into these four elements. And every time you're faced with a decision, you're trying to figure out how I can get the emotional pleasure, how much emotional pain will it cost me? It's like currency, you're trading them all back and forth. I didn't get enough sleep last night, so I might be tired, that's physical pain, but it was worth it because I wanted to stay up and pray so that I had felt ready today, so that's pleasurable to feel like I was spending my time with God. We're constantly trading. Do I give up some of the physical pleasure of money that I could buy something that I like, like a new car to pay tuition for me to go get the degree that I think will help me get out of the emotional pain of this job I hate? We're always trading. And so those four elements define our human existence. We see Jesus in the wilderness address every single one with the word of God. Now, three other things, I think it might be three, might be two, other things that I wanna show you about this. First of all, Jesus is in the wilderness, but he's not really in the wilderness, he's in a garden that has died. When we first were created, we were created as flourishing gardens. In Genesis chapter one, we see God plant a garden. And so when the garden was planted, it is on the third day, Genesis 1:11. write that down. You guys gotta go through these verses later because I can't teach them all now. When God planted a garden in Eden, it was for us to have a place to live. But God also planted that garden to show us how we're made. Can you guys show me that first slide? Because I know there are still, a lot of people have seen this, but some of you have not. How many people haven't seen this before? Oh, see a lot of you guys. So on this side right here, that is a neuron. A neuron is a nerve cell. It is the building block of our thoughts. Our brain and our nervous system are comprised of these neurons. Neurons help us think by passing messages between them using chemicals like dopamine and serotonin. They pass messages between them until they form the thoughts that we have. And we have between 70 and 80,000 thoughts a day. That is a neuron. On the right is a seedling. Has anybody noticed they kind of look alike? So if you, in fact, believe in the God of your Bible, as I do, when I first saw this as a grad student, I was flabbergasted because I had a lot of questions about mental health and illness, and I wanted to understand what God had to say about it. And I found out that on the day of creation, not only did he plant a garden around us, but he put all these neurons in us that look like plants, so he actually planted a garden within us. And if I study the garden he planted around us, I can understand the garden within me. Now, these neurons are plants, and before you start getting excited about what you can learn about the mind, because I was excited when I saw this, that I was going to learn something about the mind, the Holy Spirit slowed me down and said, Anita, before you get excited about the plant, don't you want to know where the plant is planted? Because a plant is defined by where it's planted. It's called a plant. Have you ever noticed that? It is, it's a plant. And if I pull it out of where it's planted, it will die. So a plant can't exist or be defined or understood or examined or changed if I don't know where it's planted. 
And so I asked God, well, then God, tell me where it's planted. And God took me to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, where Jesus tells us that a sower went out to sow seeds and everywhere that he sowed seeds, they fell on some, a wayside soil. Some fell on stony ground, which was like angry ground. Some fell on uh, thorny ground, which had a lot of fear in it. And then some fell on good ground. And depending on the emotional state of the soil, the plant either grew or didn't grow. So the soil is the heart, the plant is the mind, the fruit is what you do. And so that means that my thoughts are actually springing from my emotions. My emotions are not springing from my thoughts. And we've had this backwards the entire time. All throughout scripture, words that are translated to the, to the English word heart, we have about a thousand times. Words translated to the English word mind, about a hundred times in the King James Version. And every time we come up with a new version, more heart words are changed to mind words because the culture is obsessed with the mind. But when we recognize that the mind, elevating the mind, is actually the original sin, because this is why the woman and the man ate the fruit in the first place, that they would have a mind like God, that they would be able to think and know good and evil, and yet we commit the original sin over and over every day, because we're trying to use our mind to fix the problem when that's how we fell in the first place. If the woman had just protected the word that was in her heart, instead of trying to let Satan get her in her head, we wouldn't have had this problem. And ever since then, we've all been climbing up into our heads instead of standing on the soil of our hearts, being honest about how we feel and what's going on and meeting Jesus in the place he wants to dwell. But instead, we want the plant, but we don't want it to be planted anywhere. We don't want to feel. But we were created as gardens. And you see that our mind has to be planted in the soil of our heart. Then Jesus, after God made it, let me show you something else. In Genesis chapter two, it says that, after God created the garden, um, created Eden, that he planted a garden eastward in Eden. This is Genesis chapter two. Everybody put your left arm out. This is the east side of your body. Imagine you're laying on a map. Your head would be in Canada. Your feet would be down in South America. And your, this left arm would be in Jersey where I'm from. East coast. This is the east side of your body. Now place your hand on your heart. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And then after he planted it there, he sent a river into the garden to water it. And when the river left the garden, it broke into four rivers. One, two, three, four. Your heart is actually the garden that God planted in the Eden that you are and the ground that he made you from. And then it says that he planted a tree of life in the midst of the garden. So if he planted a seed for a tree in the midst of this garden, the roots would grow down into your belly and then the trunk would grow up and then the fruit would be on the top. Can you show them the tree of life that is in the center of the garden that is your body? Some of you may recognize it. We call it the vagus nerve. It is the longest nerve in the body and it is one of the longest nerves in the body and it is the main component of our parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system, when activated, brings us into a state of calm, a state of rest. It helps our digestive system. It helps our mind think clearly. It helps us connect in relationship. We feel peace. We feel love. The vagus nerve heals our body. It is a tree of life in the center of our garden planted in the heart. Your emotional life is the foundation of your spiritual, mental, and biological life. I didn't plant it. He did. And that fruit up here, this brain, this mind, is the outcome, not the start. Your brain is a fruit, not a starting point. And so you must feel through your emotional life in order to have healthy fruit. Because whatever's going on in the soil gets in the fruit. 
And so while you're struggling not to feel and think your way to holiness and think your way to right, you actually need to feel your way through it. Because if we look at Jesus again, when Jesus cried after he allowed his tears to flow at that tomb, he used resurrection power to call a dead man out of a tomb. And after he flipped all those tables in fury, people flooded into the temple and he healed them. And after he broke down crying in Gethsemane, begging God for a break, he stood up, walked five feet and said, I am he. And people were knocked off their feet by the power of his voice. Every time he allowed his emotional pain to be fully expressed, the power of God came through after that and changed everything. You're so busy trying not to have a breakdown, you're missing your breakthrough because you're holding on and holding on. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to break down. And you hold. You go ahead. God's just waiting for you. Are you better than Jesus? Baby, you know why that book got written? Because every time that pain hit me, I hollered. God, I'm not strong enough, but you are. I'll move out the way for you. I'll be broken. If you'll plant yourself in my heart, I will break it open. I won't think through it. I'll feel it. You have got to allow yourself to be human if you want to birth the supernatural things he has called you to birth. It is your deep humanness that is the breeding ground, the sacred seedbed for the words he's speaking over your life. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I promise from this day forward to be a human being. That felt good. Some of you guys see tears streaming down some faces right now. You have been fighting too hard to be God instead of being broken to allow God. Man, not expect, I expected him to say, all right. So let's go back now. This garden that was planted within you is meant to flourish. But when the fall happened, everything went bad. Read Genesis 3 later. The Bible shows that after the man and the woman ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, that the garden died. It says the ground became barren and it was hard to grow things and there were thorns and thistles. Now this is important because the man is, the serpent is punished in chapter three for what it did. Y'all know that story already. The man is punished, the woman is punished, but the ground is also changed even though the ground didn't do anything wrong. Why did the ground have to get thorns and thistles and barren and hard? The ground didn't do anything wrong, so it wasn't being punished, but it did get changed. And so the emotional life and the physical life that we had at creation changed. So the things that you experience, emotional pain, physical pain, the needs that sometimes feel insatiable, the illnesses that our bodies get, because how many people know even after you give your life to Jesus, sometimes you get sick? Did anybody expect when you gave your life to Jesus that you would never die outside the rapture? You knew that you still lived in a body. Well, you will also still have sadness, anger, fear. You might have clinical depression. You might have bipolar disorder. You might have schizophrenia. That doesn't mean that you don't have Jesus. It means that something in the ground changed. 
And so we have painful emotions. That is not because you did something wrong. It's because you're made out of the dirt. And Jesus came and wrapped himself in that same dirt. So he had every experience. So when he is in the wilderness being tempted, he is now in the garden that has died. And internally, many of us are in a wilderness. We're not flourishing. There are parts of our heart that are flourishing, but there are parts that are doing badly. And God wants me to let you know that that doesn't separate you from him. There will be some pain. There will be some suffering. God will bring us through things. And some of you may suffer longer than you would like to. But that doesn't mean he's not with you. The only difference, all of this ministry in my life started because my older sister had a terrible mental illness. And I say terrible and it was severe. She had hallucinations. She heard voices. When I was, oh gosh, about 12 years old, the voices told her to kill all of us. My sister almost took my life, my mother's life, my grandmother's life. God rescued us. And I said, God, I want to understand this as a Christian because my parents were praying for her healing and it wasn't happening. And so God gave me these revelations of the garden to help you know also that even if you are struggling with a mental illness, it is not because you're sinning. It is not because God has left you. It's just a part of the fall. And just like you can catch an auto, you can develop an autoimmune disease and you don't think that means that you sinned, you can develop depression and that doesn't mean you sinned. You can develop diabetes and you don't think that's because you sinned and you may develop bipolar disorder and that doesn't mean you've sinned. These are all things that come from the fallen nature, but it does not separate you from God. And if you're willing to take insulin for your diabetes, you can take antidepressants and it doesn't separate you from God. It hurts in a way we don't like, but it doesn't mean that you are in relationship with Jesus. If you have been struggling with suicidal thoughts, God just told me to tell you. He's with you and that is not his voice calling you home. It is a broken thing in your body, but it is not him. He only speaks love, but that doesn't mean you don't love him and it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. I love you and I want you to live. And he sent me here to tell you that today. Where are you? Who has struggled? Who's been struggling with some, look at, come here, come here, come here. Pastor Taylor's up, come here. If you've been struggling with suicidal thoughts, Come down. God wants, he wanted you to know that he saw you today. Oh my God. Come here, come here, come here. Come here, come here, come here. At least one of you said you're going to go to church and if this don't work out, that's it. You are going to go home and that was going to be it. But it is not going to be it. Where are your ministers? Where are the people? Come and minister. This is not it. It's not over. It's some stuff in this garden because of the fall, but it's not what you did. It's not what God wants. And that sexual abuse, one of you has survived some sexual abuse is more than one. The devil is a liar. God did not do that to you. God did not do that to you. He did not have you be abused so you could be stronger and help somebody and now you're failing. God doesn't abuse children. He loves you. Oh my God. He loves you so much. 
And I don't know when the last time somebody looked you right in the eye and said, I love you, so I'm doing that. I love you. And I'm not just speaking on his behalf. I love you. And I would have walked through everything I've walked through this year and lose it again and suffer again just to be here in this moment that you won't forget to say I love you. What's your name? Isaiah, I love you. Memorize this. Because when the enemy tries to come again, you close your eyes and you see this. I love you. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every single one of you will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I break the bands of trauma in the name of Jesus. I break the bands of trauma in the name of Jesus that's trying to snuff out your garden. But you will flourish. You will flourish. I'm planting seeds of life. I'm speaking these words of life. I'm planting seeds of life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I know you said I can't take this no more and God said this is the end this is it you're okay I saw you today I saw you today when Jesus was in the wilderness he experienced everything we felt there are research experiments that have shown that if you isolate someone completely alone by themselves with no human contact, no, no um, comforts, no anything, that within about seven days, people will start to hallucinate. That means somewhere in that 40 days that Jesus was all alone in the wilderness, his body would have created a hallucination. He knows what it feels like to see something that's not there. He knows what it feels like to be tormented. He knows what it feels like to be afraid. There is no experience that you have that he did not have in that 40 days of his body being broken to the limit. Your manic episode, the elements of that, he felt what that feels like. That depressive episode, the elements of that 40 days, no food in the elements, chased by animals. He felt it. He did that so you would know you weren't alone. And then he came out of all of that attack and he faced the enemy and he testified. Every single time, keep praying for them, every single time that Jesus responded to the enemy with a scripture, he wasn't quoting a verse at the devil. He was testifying. Yeah, yeah. Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that we are overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, the blood of the lamb was coursing through his veins, but the word of his testimony was literally scripture. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God, he was quoting Deuteronomy from when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were living on a word. They were waiting for manna. They were hungry in the desert and Jesus was there and he said, them suffer and he saw God deliver them and so he had a testimony the verse that came up out of him wasn't a quote it was a word that he knew I call the word up in you now in the name of Jesus Every verse you've ever read, every verse you've heard preached, every verse your mama, your grandmother ever read, every Sunday school memory verse, I activate it now in the name of Jesus. Because under pressure, it's not about quoting it, it's about it waking up. 
See, when the enemy was attacking me, telling me I was going to lose my mind and not be able to deliver what he gave me, the word woke up. It said that I am more than a conqueror and neither death nor life nor principalities nor angels nor powers. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. That came up. Testify. When we are under these pressures, the pressure is not the problem. It's the word that must wake up. Because the seed is agitated by what's happening in the soil. And Jesus testified. That's what he was doing. So don't run for your pages of your Bible. Stop running a search in your app for scriptures about fear. Sit down and put your hand on your belly where river and say, word, come up and let the verse come up. I don't care if you don't know what book, verse, chapter. I don't care if you quote it half right. You know what it is because it saved you before. Bring up the word that delivered you before. Bring up the word that assured you before. You had a word that gave you hope and you know the Bible says hope maketh me not ashamed. I don't have to quote it right. I know what it said. In your wilderness, testify. Because when you stir up a word, you can... When you stir up a word, it attracts him. Because the Bible says he chases after his word to perform it. So you can bring up that word with the tears streaming down your face. You can bring up that word with fear pulsing through your veins. You can bring up that word even when you're furious. You don't have to not feel to call on it. I quoted many scriptures in tears. And every time I came, it came up with testimony. He hastened to me. God loves his word. That's what matters. There are someone in here. There's some someones. Am I okay, Pastor Taylor? I know we just went completely. But I hear God, we don't make altar calls for mental illness. But we are today. Depression. Where are you? Come on. Come. 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 Oh, we make an altar call for cancer. We make an altar call for emphysema. We'll make an altar call maybe for addiction. But we don't say, if you've been diagnosed with depression or you haven't been diagnosed, but you know if you went to the therapist, you'd be diagnosed in five minutes, you are the altar's open. Come on, come on, come on. Because I believe that God heals. He can heal with therapy. He can heal with medication. And sometimes he miraculously just heals. I don't count him out on any level. But just you walking down, responding to his word. I'm speaking healing over you. And he will hasten after his word. Yeah, I've been on Oprah, but I still speak in tongues. Don't you never let your power go. So many of you struggling with depression. You have also survived abuse. You have also survived abuse. Emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual abuse. And when God sees you, he sees the child. God's looking down in this room right now and guess what? This is children's church. Y'all got binkies and sippy cups and diapers 
and toy cars. This is children's church. When he looks in this room, he sees seven, eight, five, four years old, six years old, 12 years old. This is all, it's all children's church to God. Because he sees you at the point of that broken moment. And you're so merciless with yourself. But you can't be merciless with a child. Sometimes you look at yourself, pull out a picture of yourself at the age that it happened. Be good to that little girl, that little boy, because some, no one was. If you saw a child right now being abused and nobody helped that child, you know that they would grow up to do all the things you feel bad about doing. You are cursing yourself, but God just wants to heal you. all he wants he just wants to heal you God's not mad at you yes 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 you would yep you were back on there last night on that pornography site yes yes you were sleeping with someone you shouldn't yes you smoked it again yes yeah you cut someone out yes okay okay you're giving yourself horrible treatment because you believe that your fruit of your behavior is wickedness but God knows it's the fruit of brokenness and he's not mad at you for being broken he just wants to heal you that's it that's it